You are listening to the Games from Edelbest podcast. I'm James Batchelor, and this week I'm joined by Brendan Sinclair, Marie Delisandri, Jeffrey Russo. Happy New Year! I say that. Technically, we're more than a week in, but let's face it, we're all going to be asking every person that we email for the first time in the next month uh, whether they've had a good end of year break. I reckon I'm going to be doing that until at least the first week of February. Um, we are going to be doing something a bit different for our first episode of the year this year. Around January, you usually get loads of people doing predictions podcasts and predictions articles. Like, this is what we think will happen in the next 12 months. And you always get a mix of pipe dreams and very, very safe bets. We're going to talk about what we want to happen in the next 12 months. So we've each picked uh, one thing for three categories. So a kind of a serious thing that we want to see from the industry or from games in the next year. A more fun, light-hearted thing that we'd like to see. And then we're going to talk at the end about our most anticipated games of the next 12 months that we know of. Obviously, not everything has been announced yet. Um, so let's get the serious stuff done. Let's uh, let's talk about what we want to see from the industry this year. Um, who would like to start? Anyone, anyone keen to share? I can start since I've already sort of uh, gone through this on the site um, with a, a New Year's resolution installment of This Week in Business. Uh, and basically the, the thing that I want to see from the industry this year is, uh, the new year's resolution was to only sell to people who want to buy, which is, uh, ridiculous and obvious and a very low bar to clear, but I don't think it's one that the industry has really been, uh, clearing and the, the FTC settlement with Epic games over dark patterns in Fortnite is sort of the the evidence uh, of this because the FTC complaint, if you read it, um, it, it paints some really just like underhanded, indefensible, unforgivable actions that Epic was was doing in in Fortnite to to keep people um buying stuff in the game even when they didn't want to like for years fortnite was a huge hit and it had this like one button no confirmation at all purchase system for for the game and the refund process was like well email us and then we'll kind of go through it and you've got a limited number of refunds that your account can have over the lifetime of the account like three maybe like they, they put up a, a whole bunch of barriers in, in the, the way of the process. And then enough people complained, both inside Epic and out, that they decided to like let people refund from within the game. And the refund within the game was like you buy it and then you'd be taken to a screen where there's like a, you know, a box to say undo purchase. And after a little while, that box would go away. If you moved away from that screen, you wouldn't be able to get a refund anymore. Uh, so there was like there were still all these kind of barriers around letting people refund easily if they had accidentally purchased uh, an item, which was which was pretty easy because the button to, to purchase was like right next to the button to preview it in in the store. Um, so they added this refund functionality, and then and then people started using it, and Epic couldn't have that. So they to cut down on that, they changed the location of it 
from a big button front and center to like a small thing on the baseline of the screen. They made it a hold to confirm that you want to do this, hold triangle to confirm that you want to do this button, even though there was no such hold to confirm uh, measure in place to actually purchase it. They also had another thing on the screen where tapping the button instead of holding it would tell it, I want to buy this thing as a gift for someone else. So hold triangle for a second and a half, you get a refund, tap it, you try and buy it for someone else. And I'm not sure actually, but if, if the buying it for someone else um, took you to a different screen in order to finalize that transaction, because it said you needed two-factor authentication for that, would that then eliminate your ability to get a refund on the original purchase because you left the screen oh also yeah that note saying like hey you you only have a limited amount of time to get a refund on this and if you leave this screen you you know you're you're up a creek nothing can be done uh they moved that note from being like white text on a dark background very clear right next to the undo button which was front and center and they made it like this light gray and they put it on the bottom of the screen, just above that tray of buttons and prompts. And it, it just completely gets washed out by the background art. There's like no contrast in it at all. And it, and it, it was like so hard to see. And it was just like the, the scummiest concoction of, of really underhanded nonsense that I've seen from, from, you know, a game in, in quite a while. Uh, I feel like probably because I've stopped playing um, a lot of games that pull that stuff. So the thing is, like Epic in this settlement with the FTC, uh, they they didn't get to deny wrongdoing, which is which is different from most of the other like FTC settlements that I've covered, even even you know like massive ones with Facebook over privacy leaks and stuff like that. And then Epic's statement on it their defense for this is like, yeah, no one sets out to wind up here, but you know, it's fast moving field and we're all trying to innovate. And I guess sometimes things kind of get out of the, get out of hand, you know? And then they said like, these are longstanding industry practices, which is uh, entirely accurate. And also uh, a damning indictment of the games industry as a whole because these are longstanding industry practices. This is the kind of uh, stuff that's been done in in games, you know, at least since they discovered A-B testing on Facebook social games 11, 12, whatever years ago. Oh, it's longer than that now, isn't it? Um, regardless, like, this is this is just the way things are done in live service games. You know, you, you push this button here, you change the color of it, you see how that works. You, you, you twist and tweak the numbers and then the sliders, you know, where things are and everything until, you know, and you, you just look at the resulting, you know, purchase numbers, the metrics from, from actual users buying it and such and, and make your decisions based on that. And that I think is is something that the industry does that has completely sort of separated the way the industry assesses things from the way players 
assess things. Uh, one thing that we get at, at gamesindustry.biz in our, in our email semi-regularly is letters from people who played these kind of games and they are fed up with them. You know, it's like, Hey, uh, I've been a lifelong player or whatever, bingo blitz or, or something like that. And recently they've just completely gone ridiculously overboard with the, the sales system. They, they don't give you good odds for anything. They charge you for everything and it's awful. And it's, I don't know why they're reaching out to us. Like they think it's some kind of scandal that, that a live service game is, you know, just squeezing money out of its players in, in a ruthless and cutthroat manner. Um, but for these people, you know, the, the, these are games that have been significant parts of their lives for years. In many cases, they've, they've formed routines. They've, they've established friendships, you know, they have connections to these games and the developers just tweaking sliders and moving stuff around to, to juice the, the revenue number, however they can and, and limit returns and stuff. They're not seeing that they're seeing the numbers that tell them like, Oh, well people buy the stuff then. So that's good. Right. So let's just make that number go higher. And they don't, they don't see how when people wash out of these games, like a lot of times they are walking away from a significant investment in, in their life, you know, years of, of just habit and friends and, and connections. And they just can't deal with it anymore. And, and they, they walk away angry and, and bitter and hurt. It's, it's legitimately painful for these people. And we get these emails semi-regularly, uh, you know, every, every few weeks, it feels like sometimes, and that's just the people that are, that are so hurt that they decide like, you know what, this can't be allowed to, to happen. Let's, let's reach out to the press in order to, to, you know, blow the horn about how awful this particular, uh, game has become. And, and it happens again and again. I just, I, I don't think, I don't think developers uh, necessarily have any real understanding of that because the, the, they don't have an appreciation of it. Like, I'm sure there's some sort of like intellectual acknowledgement that, yeah, you know, sometimes gamers wash out and they, they, lead, they, they churn out of your game and there's going to be hurt feelings and yeah, okay. But I, I don't think they quite get, you know, the emotionally what it's like for these people who go through this and and you know they, they don't question what they're doing because it's long-standing industry practices because this this is just how things are done in the industry so what i'm hoping happens this year uh is is that people throughout the industry reflect on on some of the stuff that that is just sort of seen as normal, you know, that, that people don't even really question anymore. And, and, you know, ask yourself, is this actually okay? Or is it just okay because everyone is doing it? You know, cause like the, the FTC and their, their half billion dollar settlement with Epic games uh, should, should be a pretty clear sign that like, no, a lot of the stuff is not okay. 
and that anyone that is not already like living and breathing the game industry air that that is not immersed in this sector can take a look at this thing and say like wow no that's just dirtbaggery of the highest order that is absolutely indefensible and we're just like well, for us it's tuesday <laughs> <laughs> I agree with all of that. Um, <clears throat> I, I'm quietly hoping that, like, we're starting to. They're very rare, but you do occasionally get an exception that is praised for its fairer monetization. So, in the last few years, we obviously had. I mean, last year we had uh, Marvel Snap, which people were praising because, like, most you know digital collectible card games are all about kind of getting you not just to buy new cards, but to buy the same card over and over again, so you can level up that card. And that isn't how Marvel Snap works. Genshin Impact, when it was released a few years back, that was kind of praised for its its fairer monetization. Um, it's not quite the same, but like the fact that Vampire mm. Survivors came out and was free and is all available now, that to an extent is is part partly driven by the issue that you know the sort of issues that Brendan's going on about because there are so many kind of predatory mobile uh, on mobile particularly so many predatory monetization models out there that he had no choice but to release it for free. So that you know, so that people would play this and not play the you know the many random clones that were already available on mobile. But yes, Brendan, I, that, there's a long way of saying I agree. I really hope that people kind of stop and think. Right, how do we do things differently in a way that doesn't affect players as negatively, if negatively at all? I like how you call that a long way. <laughs> I agree. After after I go for like twelve straight minutes without letting anyone get a word in edgewise. <laughs> And then you just take, oh, well, 15 seconds? <laughs> oh, James, come on. Well, before before Brendan goes on again, uh, does someone else want to jump in? Jeffrey, what are you looking forward to this year? Um, this year, I'm really looking forward to seeing um, just more unionization efforts uh, across the industry. Um, not, not just... Um, from game development, but I guess just, you know, just overall, just overall, just more of it, because uh, the reason why is, you know, as we do these stories, as we cover them, they open up more and more conversations that are long over, over, overdue, I would say, um, especially when you look at our coverage in particular, because we've, you know, opened conversations about, well, these exist because of, you know, people are doing this in their best interest for their, um, you know, essentially for, you know, their their standards of living, raising wages, um, asking leadership, you know, why aren't we making um, this amount of money compared to, you know, other companies uh, and conversations like that. And um, it, it's great to see people empower themselves because I think what tends to uh, get lost is that although this is a very multifaceted uh, business. There's just so many layers to it, just so many different jobs. And it's companies are still run by people. And without them, we wouldn't be anywhere, right? And they they just need to be more empowered because um, every, every time we do these stories and there's comments, you know, there's always like these kernels of truth that just need to come out and say, hey, you know, it's hard paying rent. Um, we need more diverse leadership. We aren't hitting XYZ kind of goals and, you know, employees want, um, 
you know, this kind of help and stuff like that. And, you know, it's just asking um, and ultimately really what it is. It's um, I, I said asking, but really, I think the better word is probably to say challenging companies to be more equitable for the people that work for them. Um, I I just think that, you know, people are well within their rights to, to ask for these things, you know, and, um, you know, we just recently had the story of um, Spellbreaker uh, Studio where leadership said, no, they won't recognize it, which I'll be honest, it wasn't totally surprising to me. <laughs> I don't know if it was surprising to anyone else uh, because that that appears to be the MO. I don't want to make any accusations. I'm like, hmm, you know, interesting. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. And I just think that, yeah, just seeing where we go with more unionization, um, where it stops feeling less and less like a, I, I won't say rare, but it, it's more of a, um, hey, this is happening more and more good is, is becoming a regular part of the, the news beat. And folks just, you know, need to be aware of it um, because ultimately I, I think the end goal, not end goal, but trying to get to be more equitable and supportive of of people because we know that the games industry uh, can can be pretty rough on all sides, um, especially for development, you know, and and I and I think it's pretty obvious that people are doing this so dare careers in the business last more than uh someone will have to correct me I, I i think the average was what like five or six years recently i i could be totally off with that i'm sorry um ultimately yeah for people to just have long careers um and do cool stuff because I, I think ultimately that's the plan and i would love to see just more stories about unionization and not just from you know, North America, but um, just different parts of, of the globe as well. I know those uh, those matters are different, but, you know, I, I it'd be cool to just wake up one day and just see, you know, stories about unionization efforts in um, different parts of the game industry globally. You know, um, I just think it'd be a boon for the, the industry and especially for the people, you know, um, and their and their respective futures in it um, and the games that they make and all the cool stuff that they're doing. So. Yeah, I'd love to see more unionization throughout the year. It's surprising absolutely no one. That is also what I had picked <laughs> uh, for uh, for what I want to see more of in 2023. So, yes, I agree with literally everything uh, you just said. Uh, like, uh, I think the first time I wrote about unions in games was in 2018 when I did that big... So at that time, I'd been in games for like a couple of years, and I did these big features about what was up with unions in the games industry. And I remember one of the people I talked to that said to me that like talk talks of like creating unions had been ongoing for the best part of 20 years. And yet there wasn't a lot to see. <laughs> and I remember feeling super depressed because I, as someone who's always strongly believed in the power of unions, I was like, oh, we're not going anywhere with this. Like people talk about it, but it's not, there's not a lot of unions existing, not a lot of people who are, like, there was still this stigma, I think, associated to being in a union. But then towards the end of 2022 and now beginning of the year, we've saw uh, Blizzard Albany QA team voted to unionize Zenimax QA workers following up on Raven Software that was early in 2022. And it just gives me hope. <laughs> and I just think, like, those those seeds are not really started to, like, bloom. And I'm just very hopeful that 2023 we'll see more of these initiatives and particularly in parts of the industry that are 
that, that have historically been underpaid, under-considered, so mainly QA, but I'd love to see it everywhere else as well. As a side note, and talking about like under-considered and underpaid people, I also more I hope that more games journalists will unionize, but that's a bit of a side note. But just generally across games, I just feel like maybe people are really starting to see the power of acting like as a group and uh, that they do have like leverage against big stupid corporations um and or like maybe maybe they saw it before but is now i feel like there's a real momentum and it's really starting to take shape and that's really cool to see and i love seeing workers being at like at the forefront of these efforts and really paving the way for hopefully more um and so yeah anyway it's all a bit of like a utopia in my head as well i guess but like i don't expect the industry to change in a matter of weeks i think there's going to be an ongoing effort throughout the year uh, we already, like Jeffrey mentioned it, but like we're already seeing like issues like unions not being recognised this week with Activision again. Um, but I think we're going in the right direction, and I'm just hoping for more collective action, more holding companies accountable, more paying people fairly, considering considering them the way they deserve. So everyone, so everyone's mental health is a bit better. <laughs> so yeah. One thing that I find interesting about the the union uh issue here is that like in the games industry itself for that past 20 years that you mentioned marie where you know unions were maybe talked about a little but didn't really get any traction Mm. like i think the working conditions in the games industry in general have have actually improved um over over that that time frame um, you, you hear stories about how just pervasive crunch was in, in all aspects of the industry in the early two thousands and the nineties. And from, you know, like my perception of it, no, I'm not a game developer, but I talk to them from time to time, uh, <laughs> is, is that it actually has meaningfully improved it's obviously still not you know great uh and what we saw what what we've seen since 2018 i guess would have been the um when kotaku ran a tell-all about riot games and the the culture there and since then particularly we've we've seen a whole lot of stories um detailing some pretty pretty awful behavior and uh, establishing a need for for employees to have more leverage in in the relationship because whatever functions there were to hold the company accountable for for abuses or for you know harboring abusive employees uh those those functions were not functioning um, so there, there definitely is a need for unions. And I think the last few years have made it, um, more, more clear in the games industry, but I don't think, I don't think the push for unions is entirely about just what's happening in the games industry itself. I think if you look at sort of wider society, particularly, you know, in North America here, um, and, and the growing inequality Mm. just across you know society the concentration of obscene amounts of wealth 
in the 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 top fraction of one percent and when you see you know what they do with it <laughs> let's let's go to space and buy twitter um <laughs> compared to you know like it is it has gotten noticeably harder for everyone in in the bottom chunk of society to to get by to conceive of themselves ever retiring to to have any kind of stability uh in in their their lives to be you know to not have to worry about one you know bad diagnosis turning their their lives upside down and making things just financially untenable for them like i think we've seen enough holes cut in the the you know social safety nets over over the years that like there's there's a a keenly felt need for for people to get some of that security back any way they can and i think i think that might be driving within the games industry the the push for unionization almost as much as the specific conditions within gaming that people are um putting putting up with because you know i've i've talked to executives about unionization a few times over the years and and what i'd heard especially um before you know 2018 is that like well i don't i don't really think we need to worry about unionization because these we we pay these people well (laughs) you know like compared to compared to a lot of fields maybe maybe you know a programmer could could probably do better in in non-gaming programming than in gaming but still you know people making high five digit six digit salaries is you know it's 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 nothing to sneeze at as game journalists i'm sure that we look at some of these salary reports and just kind of say yes we sure do (laughs) yeah but it it's 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 become I, i i think that just you know paying people money uh we're we're kind of recognizing you know we're seeing in in the games industry i think people are feeling that that that's not just enough anymore uh and and they need they need a little bit more leverage a little bit more control and uh, i i suspect that's you know playing a hand in this I'll be honest, I'm more confident in Marie and Jeffrey's dream of more unionization than I am in Brendan's dream of companies not nickel and diming every customer that they can manage. Um, so for myself, um, I've been thinking about like the, the games themselves because I, I, I knew that at least one member of the team would choose unionization and I, I kind of suspected monetization models would come up. So I'm thinking about the, the games themselves. Um I would really like to see in the next year more innovation and, and I'm doing this in air quotes, next generation ideas from the big budget games. Now, I know that that doesn't necessarily mean those games are going to come out this year, but I'd like to see them announced and, and demonstrated at least. We are approaching the third generation, sorry, the third year of this current console generation. Games take about three to four years to make, but so you know, so 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 far, you know, depending on how long they had dev kits before the launch, we're only starting now to get to the point where people will have 
you know the, the the titles that are truly built for the next gen. We're still seeing some games are released for PS4 and Xbox One, you know, simultaneously. Like, I just, I guess, I just, I want to see more, more titles that are built specifically for the the new consoles and the latest kind of PC hardware that do things that the previous ones couldn't. So, as an example, I'll give is I remember the um, Middle Earth: Shadow of Mordor, the 360 and PS3 versions couldn't they didn't have the nemesis system like the you know the AI of the orcs that remember you and you build up kind of a grudge against them they didn't have that because they couldn't handle it that was specifically for the Xbox one the PS4 version I'm looking for more features like that because as I feel like we talked about with the whole of the last generation the focus seems to be on more on you know bigger worlds and prettier graphics and bigger shinier and i kind of want to see new interesting different like open worlds are great ray traced puddles are impressive but i want to see that i want to play something that couldn't have been done before not a very polished version of what has been done before i know it's only a hope but i mean i just i'm quietly hoping that that stuff will get announced this year that looks looks like it's genuinely different because you know um ken levine uh and ghost story games showed off that trailer just before christmas for judas their first game the game that he has on and off been working on for about 10 years and i know his his thing was all about narrative legos but just from the trailer alone it looks like bioshock in space now if there's something truly different about it i want to see what that is um i yeah i just i just I want something new and exciting and I want it to come from the big budget teams, you know, the, the AAA studios with their thousands and hundreds, you know, hundreds and thousands of people and their ridiculously big budgets rather than indies doing really quite cool little ideas, but doing them to the limited capacity of their resources. And then those ideas being nicked and kind of blended into another general AAA title. Um, yeah, that's my, that's my hope. Good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks, Brandon. Um, okay, let's lift the mood slightly then. What is something that we want to see this year from the industry or from games that is a little more kind of lighthearted in nature? Just maybe, just kind of a a personal a personal preference. So, if I if you don't mind me going first, because that's directly the opposite of everything you just said. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> my one fun thing that I want to see is more funny, little, weird, silly games uh, that look <laughs> ugly and the goal isn't really to win or to do anything super meaningful. Uh, that's what I want. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, a bit of the opposite of what you just said, even though I do I do no. really love everything you just said too. But um, So yeah, like just last year, I just loved playing A Little to the Left. I loved Dorf Romantic. I loved Townscaper. Uh, this year, I'm keeping a super close eye on stuff like uh, Odada, which is that music creation kind of game experience thing, and Time Flies, which is this weird little thing where you play as a fly that has a bucket list, because why not? And yeah, that's it. I just want, like, this, is, this isn't like a new thing. There's always been like weird, silly games. Um, but I just, I just love it. I just love that kind of wave of, I don't know, minimalist indie games that kind of look at games in a different way and like I'm not a competitive person at all I hate I hate competition I hate winning I hate losing too actually I just don't like it as a concept um I just like I like games that are just an experience where 
like, not to sound super cheesy, but it's more about like the the, the journey <laughs> rather than uh, the, the the end point and the winning. And I just want to see more yeah. of that. Um, that's that's the thing. I just want weird silly games. And also Paper Mario, not related at all, but just another Paper <laughs> Mario game as well. Thank you. <laughs> I can't believe you That's stole so... my, my no. last second. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, good so, for it. Uh, yeah, I, I was basically going to say I, I want, um, because I, I, don't, I don't think that we're going to see a new Switch uh, this year or a successor no. to the Switch, rather. So uh, I'm, I'm hoping that Nintendo has been working on uh, second installments uh, of some of its franchises for this generation. In particular, like I, I would love to see another Paper Mario because uh, Origami King was fantastic and the best of the series yet. I, I would love to see a Mario Maker 3. Mm. Um, I, yeah. The second one, I think, is underrated. Like it, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to have gotten the recognition it deserved. And I, I think there's actually still, you know, more, more Mario goodness that they can uh, squeeze out of that idea. Um, and, and yeah, like I, I don't, I'm not sitting here saying like, oh man, I, I need switch Two to come out. Like the, the hardware's, I, I know that there have been issues with, with some of the, some of the titles, the Pokemon uh violet in particular um but like yeah the 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 system still works it should still have some life in it and i'm i'm guess i'm just a little worried about nintendo pulling a you know late era wii u kind of thing or or late wii yeah and and just saying like okay well we're gonna play out the string here until our new hardware is ready and that'll be a while. And I just, you know, I, I guess I prefer a Nintendo that doesn't take a year or two basically off. Mm. <laughs> and and yeah, there's, like there's Zelda. Of course, Zelda's huge. Zelda's awesome. Yeah. But like, you know, Breath of the Wild came out on Wii U. But oh, it was shit, like the did. only thing on Wii U for the last year and a half, basically, that anyone was going to give any any concern so we got we got pikmin 4 and zelda to look forward to i'm I'm hoping nintendo can uh can offer some more by revisiting some of its its franchises it hasn't uh created a new installment for the switch yet before and and mario kart would be top of that list i guess but um yeah but we, we've got more waves of the booster course pack coming through right and i'm i'm really enjoying that right. so. <laughs> so i'm not thinking mario kart 9 is going to hit switch anytime no i know what you mean like by the end of a, a nintendo console like you're you're generally like you're really excited for the next nintendo console like by the end of the Wii, it's like yes okay uh, there's nothing really exciting here i just need i'm definitely looking forward to a new one wii u kind of never got started before it did but this one, like, yeah, I, I agree. Like, Switch feels like it's it's as much as they keep on saying, oh, it's only halfway through its life cycle, and I'm somewhat skeptical about that. Equally, it doesn't feel like there's a screaming hurry for another Nintendo console. Jeffrey, what are you what are you hoping for? That's a bit more upbeat. Um, hmm. You know, I was thinking about that, and uh, honestly, I, I. I just, I don't know. I just want to like log into like Twitter one day and just see a trailer for this, for more games that just look really interesting or different. Um, 
like uh, one that I'm particularly looking for is um, Venba. That's the um, narrative mm. game where you play as the Indian mm. mom where her and her family um, immigrates to Canada in the 1980s. And, you know, it's a game about um, family and cooking. And that looks like, you know, really cute and wholesome. And that speaks to like so many experiences. And I'm like, you know, something like that looks really fun um, and, and interesting and, you know, different kinds of storytelling. I'm just looking um, for, for more games that are doing that this year. Um, you know, a, a lot of times it feels like, we get these indie directs and we literally don't know what's going on. And then we'll see like a one or two minute trailer for something that looks really, really interesting. And they either get a lot of traction on social media or they kind of don't. Um, I'm yeah, I'm just looking forward to one day, literally just like going on YouTube and seeing like a random trailer to something like that. And I'm like, Oh wow, this is really, really cool because of what, what's going on here with the development studio. Um, that's really what I'm looking forward to, to be honest. You know, all the big uh, AAA stuff, you know, sure, cool. Um, and I'll mention this with my, like, most anticipated game. But yeah, I'm really looking forward to more smaller, uh, I guess the, word, the words I want to use are, like, slice of life games. <laughs> yeah, um, I like that. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that is, is going to be, I'm, I'm hoping, you know, there's going to be a good number of that this year. It's going to be interesting. Mine is somewhat niche. I fully recognise I'm probably the only person who wants this. <laughs> and I am. this is perhaps the least likely thing to happen this year. Barring maybe Brendan's hope for you know moral monetization. I'd like companion apps to come back. Oh. I'd really like to see... I'd really like to see companion apps back. So examples I'll give. There was... Um, there was an app for Mass Effect 3. Can't remember the name of the app, but basically you sent off squads on little missions. It was a kind of a meta game, and it kept your galactic readiness up, which meant you didn't have to do billions of sodding side quests or play the multiplayer to get the best ending because in between playing the game, you know, when you're travelling for work or on your lunch break or whatever, you could just top up your galactic readiness by doing some quests in the app. When you played Assassin's Creed 4, Black Flag, that had like a whole meta game Kenway's fleet where you could send off all the ships you captured you could then send them off on trade routes and they would earn money and you could then spend that money in the actual game so I would do and there was an app version of Kenway's fleet so I would you know kind of throughout the day be you know sending my ships off on trade routes and then when I came to play the game in the evening I had enough money to buy an upgrade for the ship and it took the grind work out of playing games a lot of games are built around grind. You, if they are, you gone. You could just ask the developers to put less grind work in their games. <laughs> I mean, that would be better. That would be better. But I'm being realistic. Here. <laughs> okay. I'd like to move. The, like, I'm never going to get developers to not make me grind. But if we could move the grind so that I can grind not when I'm playing the game. One more example, I'll give it like Dragon Age Inquisition was desperately in need of a companion app because they had that war table. We could send characters off on missions and so forth. But the only way to access that was to go to like the top of your bloody castle and look at the table. Like, and if I, I if I'm limited on playtime, which I think I've mentioned a few times, I am. I don't want to be spending all my time looking at a table. I want to just all that stuff, all the busy work. Let me do that elsewhere in and around my life on my mobile phone so that when I'm sitting down to my console or my PC, I can play the game. <laughs> Less grind, more companion apps, please. 
Awkward silence suggests I've bored the team into submission. So before we wrap up, let's go around and see what our most anticipated games of the year are. Marie, yes. what are you looking for? I mean, to? you do know it. There's only Zelda. Zelda and only Zelda uh, matters to me. That's the only game I'm looking forward to. No, that's not true. That's not the only game I'm looking forward to, but obviously the uh, that's the thing I'm... Yeah, I've been waiting for it for years. Uh, I do need to mention Hollow Knight Silk Song as well. I want to believe it's actually coming out uh, because otherwise I would be so, so sad. So these are the two games, uh, Zelda and, and, and Hollow Knight. Nice. Jeffrey? I am looking forward to uh, Koei Tecmo and EA's uh, Wild Hearts just to see if it can pull off more than being a quote-unquote Monster Hunter clone, just to see if it's able to establish itself Um where it's a case where, uh, yes, you know, within, we're within the same genre, but I'm particularly my own kind of thing, just to see if they can do that, because I think it's pretty interesting that they're they're trying that. <laughs> um, so who knows? I, I think it'll be interesting to see that and to see if it's, uh, if it's successful with people, because people love those kind of games. Nice. Brendan? Uh, I was tempted to pick Zelda. But like I, I loved Breath of the Wild, and in my life, I don't think I have ever loved a book, a movie, or a game to the degree that I loved Breath of the Wild, and then found the next thing, uh, the follow-up, to be anywhere near as satisfying. So, mm. so I'm actually kind of um, not looking forward so much. <laughs> To, to Zelda and instead what I'm into this year looks like it's going to be Street Fighter 6 because uh, I loved Street Fighter 2 uh, Street Fighter 3 has grown on me over the years and I think it's fantastic Street Fighter 4 I got back into but was like eh, they did a good job but it doesn't quite click with me 5 I ignored completely like I, I am everything I'm seeing from 6 uh, looks really cool, looks interesting, and, and looks like it might actually get me back into a fighting game for the first time in a while. Nice. Um, I'm kind of the same with you in terms of Zelda. Like, I adore the Zelda series. I absolutely love it. And that first game was so transformative. That first game, sorry, <laughs> Breath of the Wild was so transformative for the series. It was such an incredible experience. It was literally the only thing I played for, I think it was about six to nine months. I didn't play anything else, just Zelda. So the chances of that game, I don't know, the chances of, of Tears of the Kingdom being as good are minimal, which is weird for me because I there are actually, there are Zelda sequels I prefer. I prefer Majora's Mask to Ocarina of Time. I prefer Link Between Worlds to Link to the Past. I prefer Spirit Tracks to Phantom Spirit Animals. Tracks is so good. Why is no one talking about Spirit Tracks? Sorry. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I, no, I agree. I agree. That was that was a worthy interjection. So yeah, um, so Zelda's definitely up there, but it's kind of a cautious optimism. So my safe bet of most anticipated game is Spider-Man 2. I, I know I love me some Spidey, but like Insomniac absolutely knocked it out of the park with that 2018 game. I think I made my feelings clear about Miles Morales at the you know, tail end of last year. And this is obviously a return to the Peter Parker Spider-Man story, but with Miles as well and Venom as as the bad guy. I am still, still quietly hoping for co-op Spider-Man. I mean, that will satisfy my whole, I want to see something different. 
Um, you know, give me co-op Spider-Man because no previous generation could have handled that. Um, so yeah, Spider-Man 2, looking forward to that. Okay. I feel better. I don't know about the rest of the team, but I feel better. (laughs) Um, Okay, that is all we've got time for. Thank you so much for joining us. We are going to be back next Friday with another Playable Futures episode. So if you haven't seen these already, do check out the podcast feed. We've got a series of interviews called Playable Futures, which is hosted by our friend Will Freeman. And it's uh, interviewing various people around the industry about the future of the industry, the future of games with regard to specific kind of subjects. So we've tackled like kind of marketing and publishing, community, indie vr um they're really interesting conversations so please do give those a listen uh you can find all previous episodes of this podcast on your podcasting platform of choice and you can get more news insight and analysis into the world behind video games at gamesindustry.biz 